You're listening to a teaching from Sundown Church. We hope you encounter God through our podcast and experience freedom in your life. Well, just again, you guys know this is kind of like our disclaimer before we get into the lessons, a fact about all the gifts of the Spirit. Uh, the Spirit of God is the source. It is absolutely impossible to operate in these giftings without the Holy Spirit. If anyone can, anyone claims that they can do it without the Holy Spirit, they are a false prophet and are spewing demonic doctrine because they are called the gifts of the Spirit, not the gifts of man, not the gifts of a singular person, not the gifts of pastors, the gifts of the Spirit. Uh, The Spirit of God is the seal of authenticity and authority of these giftings. The display of the gifts will always look like the heart of the Father and it will always reflect the nature of God. And so if if it's something that is is condemning, uh, producing guilt, um, strife, turmoil... Uh, making somebody feel worse about themselves. These, these are not within the nature of God. This is not how He operates. He does not use condemnation. He does not, he does not convict by using guilt. He, he brings about conviction in a heavenly way where He displays Jesus and then He shows you where you are and, where, and what is missing from your story and the things that need to change within your story. But Jesus does not use guilt as a motivator for change because guilt as a motivator for change is not a lasting motivator for change, as we see. Uh, otherwise, every criminal that was ever found guilty would never be a repeat offender. But we have repeat offenders for a reason because guilt is fleeting. That is not how he operates. They will always manifest his nature. No gifts of the Spirit are meant to elevate any one person but instead the body of Christ as a whole. So these, uh, these guys that are, are selling the, their, their magic oil that will bring healing to your house, uh, that is not of the Lord. That is just uh, false, so don't buy it. Um, and last two weeks ago, because last week we had the fellowship night out at our house, uh, and that was a lot of fun just hanging out and letting the kids play and just enjoying time together, uh, something that we hope to do more and more and more. Um, but the week before that, two weeks ago, the use of the gifts of healing is what we talked about. And it starts with faith. Because as we can read in Hebrews 11, it is impossible to know Him, it is impossible to work with Him, and it is impossible to please Him if you do not have faith, if you do not operate in faith. And it's incredibly logical. If I don't have faith that He can heal someone, how could I hope to to be given access to this spiritual gift. How could, I have, how could I have hope to have access to any spiritual gift if I do not have faith of what He can do with these giftings? If I don't have faith in Him uh, for the giftings, I'll never receive the giftings. I'll never see them exist in our story. And so many of us, that is where uh, the true issue is. It's not that the giftings don't exist. It's that we don't have the faith necessary to wield and steward such giftings. And the killer of faith, most often that we see, the the reason that we don't have adequate faith to steward the gifts of the Spirit is is, is because we stop short of experience because we have become satisfied with knowledge. We stop short of experiencing the nature and the manifestation of God and His Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit because we become satisfied with our limited knowledge of them. But experience will always trump knowledge. Experience will always trump knowledge. 
I've seen this time and time again. There are plenty of people that know a lot about something. But the people that have actually done that with their hands and applied the knowledge and, and it has become wisdom will always perform better than those that just simply have knowledge of a topic. Every single time. That's just the way it goes. Uh, so unfortunately, we should stop short of experience because we can become satisfied with knowledge. But knowledge can only get you so far when it comes to the unseen. This is the other thing that we have to recognize. Um, in Hebrews 11, it talks about faith in the unseen, our God who is unseen. We see the evidence of Him. We see the fingerprints of Him. We see His moving, but He is unseen. So all of the gifts of the Spirit start from the place of unseen. And then they're made manifest, and you see the fruit of those giftings. But they all start from the place of the unseen, and knowledge cannot educate you on that which it cannot see. Experience is the teacher there. And sometimes, church, the unseen, it flows very naturally in the display of the spiritual gifts. Uh, we see it just flow very naturally in the gift of wisdom, the gifts of knowledge and words of knowledge and revelation. And other times, it requires us to press into the release of a particular gift, like healing, uh, the gift of healing. To press in, it requires faith, trust, and discernment to know when the Lord is simply saying no, and when the Lord is inviting us to press in in a place of intercession. And when we press in, we need to remember that the release of these gifts, they have already been bought and paid for by the blood of Jesus. So in the pressing in, there is no begging and there is no pleading. So oftentimes we don't see the fruit uh, of the gifts of the Spirit because we come from a place of begging and pleading for the Lord to release them. And like we talked about two weeks ago, to beg and plead the Lord to release something, uh, especially if we're talking about the, the gifts of healing, if I'm begging for Him and pleading for Him to release healing to a person, then I am assuming that I have more mercy than He does. Because I see a place of mercy that He obviously can't, so I have to beg and plead Him to release it to this person as if He hasn't already. For God so loved the world that He sent His only begotten Son that, should, that whoever should believe in Him shall have eternal life. Um, he loved the world. So to assume that there is a person on this earth that He has uh, no mercy for and that I'm going to have to uh, petition Him to release mercy to them is, is foolishness and it's blasphemous. Uh, that is not who the Lord is. So there is no begging and there is no pleading, especially, especially for something that's already been bought and paid for us to carry and us to release. It's already been bought and paid for. Uh, there's no need to beg for it. Uh, we pray for the release because we want Jesus to get what he, what he paid for. And the gifts of healing, as we have studied, is not just an instantaneous work. It's not uh, just this immediate uh, release uh, that is a miracle, this immediate and finished work right there in that moment, completely and totally finished. It is done. That is a miracle. But the gifts of healing, that is a process. And Scripture teaches us, and this is what we've talked about, it is a process. And with it being a process, it points to a relational journey. It has so much to do with taking a person deeper into their relationship with Jesus as well as bringing healing to their story in the area that they need it. But the Lord, again, He will always go for the heart. He will always go after the heart of a person. And if that requires a process that He invites them into, then that's what He'll invite them into. If, if all they need is an instantaneous miracle, 
then that's what he'll release. If they need a word of knowledge, whatever they need so that he has the attention of their heart, that's what he's going to release because that's what he desires. Um, and, and talking about, we've just been referencing the gift of miracles, and that's where we're going to uh, be tonight, is talking about the gift of miracles. And this is an interesting study, and I'm excited about it. I've learned a lot about this in my own time and study with it over the last several weeks. Um, but the, the important thing to remember, just before we go on, kind of adding to the gifts of healing, uh, and that being a process and the miracles being an instantaneous work, there are times within Scripture where a miracle is not given because an instantaneous work is not going to change that person's story in any way, shape, form, or fashion. It talks about, uh, I'm, I'm blanking on the passage, unfortunately. I just read it uh, a few hours ago. Um, but the, the man who, uh, uh, it's, it's Lazarus and, what's his name? Anyways, Lazarus goes to uh, Sheol, and this man goes to torment and hell, and, and he's petitioning uh, Abraham to, to send someone back, to send Lazarus back to tell his brothers of, of what's going to happen if they don't repent and they don't change their ways. And he just presents this. He's like, I could send Jesus. I could send Moses back. And it would not change because they saw Jesus working and they did not turn. So somebody coming back from the grave to warn them is not going to change their mind. So he's saying right then and there, they have seen the evidence of the Lord. A miracle is not going to change the way they're going. And so, so oftentimes we, we lose track and we start petitioning the Lord for a miracle when he is trying to tell us this is not the answer for this person because it will bring no change. And he is not wasteful. He's not going to release a, a miracle that will produce no fruit. His word never returns void. He will not release his word that is destined for voidness. Does that make sense? Uh, so that's just an important disclaimer about the gifts of miracles. We really need to understand, and we're going to dive into that tonight, not just when the Lord releases this, but when the Lord and why the Lord won't release it. That's really important. We lose track of that all the time. But we're going to start like we do every week in 1 Corinthians 12. If I can get there. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 10, and then we'll jump down to 27. Uh, or verse 9, sorry. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. And to another, the interpretation of tongues. And then in verse 27. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all possess gifts of healing, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret, but earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you still a more excellent way. As we have read, a miracle is when God intervenes in the normal operation of nature, 
miracles are supernatural, a.k.a. they are beyond the natural. They are beyond the norm of what is possible within this realm. They are unexplainable. And it is an instantaneous work of God. It consists of more, though, than the gifts of healing. Okay? Uh, it is a supernatural and unexplainable work of God. And we're going to dive into this more. But so oftentimes when we think of a miracle, what's the first thing that we think of? Healing. A physical manifestation. And within that, we have already put a cap on ourselves. And that is already a recognition that we stopped short of experience because we became satisfied with knowledge. Miracles are healing. Physical healing. All right, topic learned. I'm moving on. Not even close. There are so many instances, and we're going to read those, where there is no miracle of healing. The miracle is very different. It has nothing to do with a physical ailment. So we'll start in Acts 13, verse 4. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia. I don't even, yeah, there we go. And from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. And they had John to assist them. When they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish, Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence who summoned Barnabas and Saul, this is Paul, Saul is Paul, and sought to hear the word of God. But Elimus, the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, Will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when, we, when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished in the teaching, at the teaching of the Lord. Unexplainable supernatural work. Okay, it, it, and it's similar to what happened to Saul on the road to Damascus. When he met with Jesus, uh, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Talking about the persecution in the church when Jesus met him. And he blinded him and he, he was blind until Ananias, sent by God, went, laid hands upon him, anointed him. Uh, and uh, the scales fell off of his eyes and Saul was anointed from that day forward and became known as Paul. Uh, so this is another miracle. That is unexplainable. I have never seen someone grow scales on their eyes to where they're blind and then scales fall off of them because someone lays a hand upon them. That's unexplainable. That is supernatural. It's beyond the natural realm of understanding. Uh, that is a miracle. Uh, Acts 12, verse 6. Now when Herod was about to bring him out, uh, this is Peter, on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him saying, get up quickly. 
And the chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, Dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. He did not know that what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. When they had passed the first and the second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them of its own accord, and they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel left him. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all the Jewish people, and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. Okay, uh, several of these stories remind us of the width and, and are meant to remind us of just the width and the depth of miracles. Uh, the way we have taught miracles, unfortunately, uh, we typically only view them as physical manifestations. Uh, another example of what happens when we, again, when we stop short of experience because we have become satisfied with knowledge is that we miss the full picture of the gifts of the, uh, the gifts of the Spirit that the Lord intended, the teachings that are plain as day. These are not, this is not anything, this, no one's sitting down explaining to us miracles in the story. The Lord knew that we didn't need lessons, we needed examples. We needed contextual, tangible evidence that this happened. This is a story of actionable, not, not just uh, knowledge of a miracle, but facts. This is evidence that this took place. This is what happened. This is how it worked. He gives us these examples, but we miss the full picture when we stop short of knowledge. So we read that. And so oftentimes we read those stories and we do not associate that story or any of those stories as a miracle. I've read uh, the scales falling off Paul's eyes a thousand times and not once have I ever said that was a miracle. I just said, that's just, that's just what happened. Jesus showed up on the road to Damascus. That's a miracle. Jesus wasn't, Jesus, he was dead. That's a miracle. He showed up. He put scales over his eyes. He spoke to another man in another place and sent him to anoint Paul who would write 90% of the New Testament and be one of the main reasons that we're here contextually being able to talk about what a miracle is. Because of what he wrote. Because of the testimony of the apostles. Those were, this is all miracles. This gift in 1 Corinthians 12 is introduced differently as well to another, the working of miracles. And we tend to look at this gifting as something that should just happen for us because we just have a really profound and magical worship service. It should just appear because, and this is an unfortunate one, because we just want it to happen. We just want it to happen. And, and that's, I, I say that's an unfortunate one. That's not a bad thing to want the miraculous to take place. It's not a bad thing. What's evil and the sight of the Lord is that when my desire rooted in me becomes what leads me and guides me forward to action. I want John to walk out of that chair. And what would be evil to the Lord would be my will now. I'm praying from my will. I want it. I know the Lord wants it, but I want it now. So I go and I begin to lay hands. Who am I praying to? I'm not praying to him. Because I'm, I'm operating in me right now. 
I'm praying to Parker. And he's going to stay in that chair. Because the Lord didn't release that. And that doesn't mean that the Lord won't release it. And we're, we're going to talk about what that looks like. But this is, that is not the design of any of the spiritual gifts to be found within our motivation and our desire to see them take place. Do we desire to see the spiritual gifts made manifest? Absolutely. But they will not be made manifest just because we desire to see them manifested. That's not where they come from. And that's what we're going to talk about next. Matthew 12. Matthew 12, 33. That's Matthew 13. That one makes sense. Matthew 12, 33. There we go. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of your heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good. The evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you will be justified. And by your words, you will be condemned. A tree, and the, the, main, the main part of that, we know uh, the Lord is uh, addressing Pharisees and different things. Um, and different issues going on. But the profound thing about this that we tend to forget is that a tree is known by its fruit. A tree is known by its fruit. It doesn't matter if you say you're a Christian. You are not known by what you say. You're known by the fruits of your story, the fruit of your life. If, we, if you were never to speak again and we were to look at your story, what would the tree that is your life testify to? If you were not allowed to give an account of your story, but only lay out your testimony before us, what would that tree give an account to? That's the important lesson that we need to see there. And then in Matthew 7, uh, we know this very well. This is popular. I've been in this, uh, just reflecting on this passage for several weeks now. Um, I don't know why the Lord just has me there, but he, that's where he's had me. Uh, Matthew 7, verse 15. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you, depart from me. You workers of lawlessness. He will not impart the power for miracles if he does not know us because he cannot trust us if he does not know us. And it just goes back to that example of, of praying for something out of my own will. When I'm praying, I'm not going to be praying, Parker, who is in heaven. I'm going to be praying to Jesus, but I'm praying from a place that was born in me, not a place that was born in him. Not... I, I'm not reflecting his heart in a moment. I'm reflecting my heart and I'm telling him he needs to reflect my heart. 
That's really what's happening in that moment. And again, it's so crucial. Um, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. These are the ones that are known because if I am in the will of God, if I am in the will of God, that means that He knows me and I know Him. I have relationship. I have relationship. How can my kids know what my will for them is if they never see me and never interact with me? How can they know the standard? How can they know the standard? I, I, we had this, I had this moment, and they're just kids. Um, and, and we have an eight-year-old, and he's, he's, he's getting testy. He's figuring some things out. And I, I asked him to do something the other day. Um, and I'm just walking. I'm going to grab a horse. I asked him to do something. And he said... Uh, you know, begrudgingly because he doesn't want to stop doing what he's doing. Fine. I said, excuse me? And what do you think I got back? Yes, sir. Right? But how does that moment happen if uh, there's no interaction? Because he knows what... Now, he was reminded in that moment of the standard because there's relationship. There's interaction. All right? There's there's also really wonderful times... uh, and it's just, been, it's just been a week. Uh, it feels like it, it's already been a lot more days than Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. It feels like there's already been a lot that's gone on. But uh, for some reason, and, and we've all done this, we grow up a little bit, and then all of a sudden things that didn't used to scare us start to scare us. Um, and, and that's kind of happening uh, uh, with, with our kids and certain things right now. And... If there's no interaction, if there's no relationship, then those moments don't get turned into something positive. They get turned into something fearful that's going to mold them into operating and allowing fear to have control over what they do and do not do. But because there's relationship, those things can get corrected. Because He's existing in my will, I can adjust those things in that moment because of relationship. Everything we've ever talked about in here comes down to one thing, one word, relationship. And I've said this over and over and over again, and I will say this until I'm blue in the face, until I no longer have breath in my lungs. If we do not put relationship in the place of value that it is meant to be in, everything we're talking about has no meaning. It it, It is just words that are falling flat to empty chairs. We've got to recognize that everything, the source of all of this, we're learning these things, and this is important. The Lord desires for us to have understanding and that we could steward this, but so that we can steward this out of a place of relationship. It's nothing against knowledge. Knowledge is necessary. Knowledge is the beginning of so many things. You have to have knowledge. But knowledge without relationship will always be empty. Because it's always meant to turn into wisdom. It's never meant to stay knowledge. It's always meant to turn into application with the Lord and with His guiding. Last we spoke um, that if we, if we run to take credit, this is an, 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 another point, if we run to take credit for what is not ours, uh, what we didn't buy and pay for with our blood and with our life, Jesus will put a stop to it. And so... If he does not know you, if he cannot trust you, uh, you cannot expect for him to release things 
these things to you, not because he doesn't love you, but because he knows what these things will lead you to. If someone that does not know him, that cannot be trusted with the gifts of the Spirit, that does not have relationship with him, that does not understand the sacrifice he paid for us to have access to these things within the kingdom, does not understand that, and he releases a miracle through their hands, what's going to happen? They're going to go to a place where self is elevated, not the Lord. And in that place, there's only destruction for that person. So it's not out of, out of hatred or anger or mouth. It's out of protection and love for us that he will not release these things to us if he cannot trust us to keep the credit where the credit needs to be kept. This is one of the, this was a hard lesson for me because I've, I've played in, in worship uh, bands for a really long time, toured the country with a group and got to play with some really cool people. And for a long time in my immaturity, you know what I wanted as I was playing drums? I wanted to be that guy with the guitar singing into the mic. Because I thought, man, it just looks so cool. It looks so fun. And I would, I would think about what that would be like. And you know where I always ended up within seconds? Self-elevation. Every single time. Like immediately it's like, oh, this, that, that, that took like 15 seconds for it to become all about Parker in my head. Of course, he will never release that because he loves me. He loves me. He loves me so much that he would not release something to me that I would manipulate for my own benefit and cause my own destruction. That's how good of a God he is. Uh, Romans 15. Verse 15 says, But on some points I have written to you very boldly by the way of reminder because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable uh, may be acceptable and sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. For I will not venture to speak of anything except that, uh, except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God. So that from Jerusalem and all the way around Elysium, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ, and thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel. Not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation, but as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. This is the heart of someone. Just reflect it. I just love that passage because of what it emphasizes about relationship. It emphasizes this is someone, the author here, uh, Paul writing here, this is someone with deep relationship, deep trust, and a recognition that all ministry has been entrusted to us by Christ. It's all his ministry and his will, not ours. There's not a one of us that has ever been that ever will be besides Christ Jesus that authored the ministry of reconciliation. Not a one of us offered, uh, authored it, not a one of us uh, created it, but we have only been invited into it. And too often we forget who paid the price and who created the ministry of reconciliation and then invited us into it. We've got to recognize where credit is due and where credit is deserved, and it's not on us. We have been invited into a ministry that was created before us 
but for us to be a part of and to be ministers of, but it is not by our hand. We have been brought into this to represent him. It says that we, in 2 Corinthians, and we read this all the time, but he is making his appeal through us. He made that choice. We didn't make that choice. He chose that. He invited us in to be ambassadors of this ministry. We weren't elected. We weren't voted. We didn't do anything to earn it. We don't have the credentials. All we have is the blood of Jesus. That's the only credential that you have is that the blood of Jesus has covered you and your sins. And when God looks at you, he sees the sacrifice of his son that has made you worthy. And now he calls you a son. He calls you a daughter. And so we have always been invited in. And as he comes, if he comes to release miracles or if he doesn't, it is his ministry. And so are we willing to receive and say yes to his will as he desires to come? If he's not producing miracles, are we content to receive him as he desires to come to us? Or are we waiting for him to come as we desire for him to come? And so oftentimes that's why miracles are missed because I desire him to come with miracles and he desires to come in a different way. Again, the Asbury revival uh, that has taken place and is still just, uh, the Lord is still doing and sweeping the nation. A group of people just were honest and desired to press into the heart of God, not desiring anything from him, but just more of his presence. And because of that, the miracles that took place was the instantaneous deliverance of mental illness, anxiety, and depression. Peace for what some say was the first time they've ever been at peace. That was the miracle that he decided to come with, that he decided to release when his presence was ushered in by that small group of college students. Uh, So much so that people were in there for days and felt as though they were in there for mere moments. That hunger, thirst, having to go to the bathroom were not anything within their mind. It wasn't anything that, and it's not like it was a messy, nasty place in there. That those, the body was just in a different state of existence because of the manifestation of the presence of God. And if we just simply desire the manifestation of His presence and however He wants to release it, it is in that place, trusting His will and not our own, trusting Him to move and just desiring Him to move however He sees fit, it is in that place and in that believer's heart where miracles can be entrusted. If we're receiving his, receiving and saying yes to His will, not our own, if we are... Uh, If we are doing this, then it is just a matter of time. If we just desire Him to come however He wants to come, then it is just a matter of time before miracles will flow and those anointed to be vessels for them will step into that place of authority. It's just a matter of time. We we talk so often about how miracles are gone, and this seems to be the hottest topic. There's two topics uh, that we talk about often within the church that the church is divided on, on whether they exist or don't exist anymore. One is the, the, the Lord's voice that he still speaks, and the other one is that he still does miracles. He still, he still does miracles. I've seen him. I've seen him. I, I've seen him time and time again. There, the, the, I've been to Africa where the compound was built to save girls from a horrible tribal ritualistic uh, just uh, 
rite of passage that they had to go through where their bodies are just mutilated and they would literally run away in such fear and now there is a refuge for them that catches them, that raises them up, that equips them and trains them and then puts them to be contributors to their society, to get jobs, to be they're educated and they're able to do all these things. I have, I have set foot, I have touched the ground where this place exists and it has a plaque built by First Baptist Church of Sundown, Texas when there was no way that we had the finances to be able to do such a thing. That is a miracle. That is a miracle. You can't explain, the, you can't explain it any other way. That should not have happened. Money appeared where there was no money. It's a miracle. Not because we pursued a miracle, but because we desired for the Lord to show up the way he desired to show up. And that's the way he showed up. When a group of people, again, just exist in great faith and just desire to meet with the presence of God, it is in that place where it is safe. Because he can trust this people to release the giftings of miracles, the working of miracles. And he desires the working of miracles. But this seems to be the trickiest one to be trusted with. Because it is tricky. And so oftentimes it comes from a great place, from a loving place, but it comes from a place within us. Right? A good idea can be a bad idea. And so oftentimes that's what happens. It's not prompted by the Lord, but prompted by my flesh. And in that place, I shut off what the Lord is actually doing. If we could just be content to participate as the Lord comes and as He moves, to participate in what He's presenting to us. We have an opportunity every Sunday. He comes fresh with new presence and new perspective. And He comes in a brand new way every single time because not a single one of us have ever experienced Him on that day together because it's the first time on that day that we've ever been together. Because every Sunday is incredibly unique. And every Sunday will never exist again. This Sunday that we had and the Sunday that we're going to, it is one of a kind. And the Lord has a measure of His presence that is one of a kind. And if we are willing to participate in it, it is in that place that miracles will flow. But we have to be a people that can be trusted to steward such a thing. And that place of trust comes from recognizing that it is not my will, it is His will. It's not my ministry, it's His ministry. And I don't desire for Him to do miracles. I desire for Him to show up and do whatever He wants to do. If it's miracles, praise God. If it's not, praise God. Because what He has is better than anything that I could ever imagine. And if there's not a miracle, there's a reason for it. If there's a group of people that are passionate about him and can be trusted with such a thing, but the gifts of miracles are not being made manifest, then there is a reason they're not being made manifest. I trust him. I love him. And I'll continue to pursue him and dig deeper into him. And it's in that place that we see the gift of miracles. Paul is written about, and he had such a unique gifting of miracles because it was handkerchiefs that he wiped his face on after lunch could be taken and given to the sick and they would be healed. But what does Paul emphasize over and over and over? Not me, him. Not my will, his. I don't serve me, I serve him. With such boldness and authenticity, such boldness after his scales fell off his eyes that the apostles literally had to take him and remove him because he had such a fire he was causing chaos 
because he just desired the presence of God to be made known, the story of Jesus to be made known. He had to go and get taught. There was such a fire in him that was not for him, but was for the Lord and, and passionate service to him. Such passionate faith in a shipwreck in the middle of the ocean. Everybody's screaming and crying, and not in the ocean, but in the sea and just crying and, and wailing and, and, and worried. And he said, don't, the Lord has called me to go where we're going. So if you're with me, you're safe. Because he had such a trust in the Lord. And it's a person of that trust that can be released. The working of miracles. So can we just trust God to show up how he needs to show up? Uh, let him do what he needs to do. Uh, let him be who he needs to be in any individual moment. And in that place, if our answer is yes, in that place, we can expect to see the miraculous flow and be made manifest before our very eyes. And not just miracles of healing as far as physical, but the healing and miraculous uh, nature of God being made manifest in more than just physical healing, but in way more profound ways. Uh, I, I would love to see the lame walk and the dead rise and we're commissioned to do so. So you know that we're commissioned for miracles. We're commissioned to be uh, uh, vessels that carry the miraculous. But I would also be super down with uh, an angel just showing up and touching somebody and their chains falling right off of them. That would be really cool. I'm not going to shut my, shut my doors to that. Uh, there's a lot of really cool things and such endless possibilities of the miraculous that the Lord desires to work if there are people that just desire to receive Him as He comes. And if we can do that, I believe in my study... Uh, what I've found to be true, if there can just be a people that just desire the presence of God, however he desires to show up and desire for him to move however he wants to move, it is in that place that the miraculous is always found. It is always found. And it is in that place that you can move from a place of compassion as Jesus did and miracles will flow. We talked about it on Sunday, but the, the, the lame man at the pool, that was a moment of compassion. The, the woman... Uh, with, with blood, that was a moment of compassion. Uh, the, the lame man at the gates with Peter and John, that was a moment of compassion. They had compassion, but they also served God in His purpose and His will more than anything else. And it is in those places again that the miracles of the Lord will flow. Amen? Any questions? It's a big study. There's a lot in miracles. So again, I encourage you to just pursue that in and of yourself. There's a lot to study. Uh, when I was looking at my resources for the gift of miracles, there were like 150 different authors and commentaries and things on it. And so I just picked the names that I knew and trusted. Um, but I'm just saying there are tons of resources and conversation about this. And so I would just encourage you to entertain that. But again, the only teacher you need is the Holy Spirit. And if you really want to know what he intends to do with this and what his, his heart is for the gift of miracles, just pursue him and ask him to teach you and educate you. And he sure will. Thanks for listening to this message. For more resources, visit sundownchurch.com.